the History Show with Mars Duncan. Good evening on this week's programme. On this Remembrance Sunday, we'll hear about the earliest World War I commemorations. We'll also be looking at the Irish Great War Dead Archive, a new database of servicemen with Irish connections who died in the conflict. Plus, Dara Gannon joins us for another Downing Street diary on the ongoing treaty negotiations a century ago. But we begin this evening with motor racing. Cars first arrived on this island in the mid-1890s, and it didn't take long for people to start racing them, testing the limits of this new technology in open competition. In the early decades of the 20th century, Ireland's love affair with motorsport flourished. Our reporter, Connor Sweetman, has been finding out more. In 1900, Ireland was a quiet place. Except for the sounds of cattle, sheep and the occasional bicycle, the silence of the countryside was rarely disturbed. But then something happened that changed the sound of the Irish countryside forever. So the motor car first came, officially, the first one imported into Ireland came in in 1896. That's Leanne Blaney, a transport and technology historian. There had been a brief touring car which had been in Cork and basically had been a bit of a wonder of the world for everybody to turn up and to inspect. But the first car actually was imported into Belfast in the spring of 1896. These new machines were faster and louder than anything anyone had ever witnessed. And for as long as there have been motor cars, there have been people who have wanted to race them. Initially, unofficial motor racing kicking off, particularly in and around Germany and France and Italy. And from there, it basically builds because then it becomes a competition between, well, I've got this car. Is my car faster than your car? That's really the start of it. Ireland's first introduction to motor racing was the Gordon Bennett race in 1903. Writer Bob Montgomery explains. Gordon Bennett race, or series of races, was the first international motorsport uh, event. It was designed from the start to be competed between nations. Two Irish people, Gough, who was the chairman of the Royal Irish Automobile Club, and R.J. McCready, who was very much the father of Irish motoring, they stepped forward and said, uh, we'll run it in Ireland. Then it was superbly run, and it really, you know, pointed the way forward for motorsport for the future. After the Gordon Bennett race, the popularity of motorsport continued to grow. But that came to an abrupt end with the 1916 Rising. Thereafter, you see a clampdown. Martial law is introduced, both in the immediate aftermath of the 1916 Rising, when the authorities are trying to regain control across Ireland. And also then, once we get into the War of Independence and the Civil War, because cars were hugely desirable because they give anonymity for those that travel in them and they mean that you can cover huge distances plus you can transport a lot of either ammunition and um, cargo of any kind humans etc so the car becomes a source of both desire but it also becomes a source of suspicion following partition and the creation of the irish free state you see the new government beginning to recognise cars as being vital to the running of the country. State cars are purchased for politicians, licensing and motor tax becomes a critical source of revenue. And you also see an embracing of the idea that motor cars, and motor racing in particular, 
can be used as a form of state building. I think the one thing that's very clear when you look at the first government, the Commonwealth government and into the Fianna Fáil government. That's Mike Cronin, a historian at Boston College in Dublin. They do realise that what I'd call broadly state spectacles are very important for presenting Ireland to the world. Casting a message of normality, productivity, everything that's kind of, as it were, post-revolution, post-war. So sport, I think, is important because it does allow the Irish state to actually appear as a thing, which is why they put money into not just things like the Olympic team, but they also put money into staging international events. One of the key events that you see the popularity come to the fore of motor racing across the Irish population and what where the government spotted it was in the Talchin Games. The Talchin Games were held in 1924 to celebrate ancient Gaelic sports and traditions. Historian Leanne Blaney. One of the key events which you see 40,000 people turn out to is the motor racing, uh, which didn't quite hark back to the days of Celtic civilization, but demonstrates the, the popularity that was there for motor racing. And you see that continue through. Tens of thousands of people lined the streets to see the motor racing at the 1924 Talchin Games. That was repeated in 1928. Then in 1929, the first Irish International Grand Prix was held in the Phoenix Park. This event attracted the cream of Europe's great motor racing drivers and the international press declared the race as the greatest ever held anywhere. I think the context there is really important that what you're looking at is a state which has emerged from a period of revolution, which has come out of a civil war in 1923. So the new state needs to brand itself and sports events and particularly the Grand Prix are very, very important. It talks to modernity. And I think that's one thing that sort of motor racing allows them to put on display. And you get this imagery of Ireland that's cast out into the world through the use of motorsport, which is not purely war kind of revolution, rural backwardness, but it's modern, there's big crowds watching these European races, so I think it's very important. The Irish International Grand Prix at the Phoenix Park captured the public's imagination, and people travelled from far and wide to see these thrilling competitors. That association with glamour, that association with celebrity. At a time we have to remember that most people didn't own cars. Most people were never going to really take a flight. It seemed something completely unimaginable to them. And to have this opportunity to stand on the banks of a local road, a road that you've trundled along on your way to school or taken a bike to, to go to the shops or to move sheep or to move cattle on, to suddenly see these celebrities that you've read about in the newspapers hurtling past at 100 miles per hour in this massive vehicle. It's just mind-blowing. Of course it was magic. It was something out of a fairy tale. But despite the magic, there was a darker side. In Germany, National Socialism began to infect motor racing in the early 1930s. When the Nazi regime came to power, they also realised that motor racing could be a form of state building and could be used as a banner of German prowess in engineering. Here's author Neil Bascombe. In 1933, Hitler comes forward uh, to power and says, we're going to dominate the Grand Prix. He then proceeds to invest just enormous sums of money in the development of Grand Prix cars, the famous silver race cars. 
from the period of 1934 through 1937, the Germans were absolutely just crushing everybody. I mean, you just couldn't stand up to the to the uh, sheer versatility and power of these silver race cars. One of the most talented drivers of the era was Rene Dreyfus. Dreyfus in 1933-1934 was racing for Alfa Romeo. He was doing quite well. And Rene thought that he'd be invited back uh, the following year. But it was made very clear to him uh, by the Alfa Romeo team that uh, he was no longer welcome. Uh, and that was a dual factor of one, he was French, uh, and two, that he probably had the most recognizable Jewish name uh, in Europe at that time, Dreyfus. Rene spiraled for a while, but eventually he partnered with a new French racing team, and their goal was to take on the might of the German Silver Arrow race cars. Meanwhile, back in Ireland, in Cork, there was a desire to hold an even more ambitious race, the Cork Grand Prix. This series of events in 1936, 37 and 38 sought to build on the success of the Phoenix Park races, with the 1938 race aiming to be the most ambitious yet. The 1938 Cork Grand Prix remains the only ever race held in Ireland to the current international formula rules. This would have been the equivalent of a modern Formula One Grand Prix. Here's historian Liam Blaney. There were a number of challenges. Uh, by late 1930s, you already have a very busy motor racing calendar. So firstly, finding that space was a difficulty. And what you have with the Cork organisers who were involved in the Grand Prix is they travel to Germany in January of 1938 to make arrangements and they visit Mercedes and Mercedes make it clear that they're very keen to participate and they really would like to attend this Grand Prix but the date was going to be problematic for them because Cork had decided on the 23rd of April as their date and this was going to be an issue so that was called out at the start but Cork that party had looked at their dates and said no this has to be the date from our side of things so Mercedes politely had to bow out at that point because they had other commitments. So the German Mercedes team and their Silver Arrow cars wouldn't be able to attend the Cork event. This opened things up. It meant that the race would be a lot more competitive and big name drivers started targeting Cork as one of their major opportunities. One of these drivers was Rene Dreyfus. To add to the excitement, the week before the Cork Grand Prix, he did the unthinkable by beating the German Silver Arrows. I met writer Bob Montgomery in his home where he was showing me photos of Dreyfus. It's uh, Rennie in the leather coat chatting with Prince Bira and Kamati, uh, who was his teammate. When you, when you look at this picture here of the three guys in Cork, what do you imagine they're talking about? I would imagine the talk is about Dreyfus's um, uh, recent win at Pa in France when he beat the German teams. Now, on paper, they had absolutely no chance against the Germans. But in the first race of the year, at Pau, the incredible happened, and Dreyfus came through to win. And he came to Ireland um, on the crest of the wave from that. The Cork Grand Prix was held at the six-mile Caragrohane track. This 200-mile race was run to the new international formula, the equivalent of a modern-day Formula One Grand Prix. With the Germans deciding not to participate, nothing could hinder Rene Dreyfus 
from taking his second victory of the 1938 season. Dreyfus dominated the event, winning by almost two minutes and collecting his £1,000 prize money. The Cork race should be remembered as one of the crowning glories of the golden era of Irish motor racing. It had everything that we think about and reminisce about when we talk about interwar motoring. It had the bravado, it had the sportsmanship, it had the glamour. It was a brilliant competition that should be celebrated. Connor Sweetman was reporting there on motor racing in Ireland in the first half of the 20th century. We'll be back after this short break.